You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 87. Craig Council, introductory press conference day. And in this segment, we are talking to MLB Insider for the Marquee Sports Network and, of course, the score. And, uh, you know, when you hear about Cubs baseball, my opinion first, I'll let Crowley weigh in on this in a second. And I've been a Cubs fan for, oh gosh, 40 some odd years. And I always want to know what our guest, Bruce Levine, thinks when a Cubs happening happens. So, Bruce, uh, welcome to the Fly the W podcast. Happy Craig Council officially introduced day. Um, right off the bat, you have been around for, I don't know, they said today he, this is the 56th manager. Have you been around for at least 20 of these, do you think? How, how many different managers? Yeah, I, I think I missed uh, Frank Chance. And uh, <laughs> I believe when they, uh, when Hornsby was named manager, I missed that too. But other than that, you know, I've seen, I've seen everyone since uh, 1980. Okay. So uh, we saw, saw two managers in 1980. There was uh, Preston Gomez and uh, Joey Malfitano. So, yeah, I've, I've seen them all, and uh, it's always interesting. I, I was impressed by the humbleness and the straightforward approach by Craig Council that he really hasn't accomplished anything as a Cub manager, that he's as excited about this as anything he's done in a long time, and that he has a lot of work to do to catch up on what the uh, strengths of the organization are, who the people are, even calling players and, and saying hello. Uh, to me, it was um, extremely refreshing. And the one big takeaway I had, which I knew a couple of days ago, and I uh, I sent it out on whatever they call it, X or Twitter these days, <laughs> um, the fact that he and Ross had a 45-minute conversation uh, the day that he was hired, which uh, shows you an awful lot about the class of David Ross texting him and immediately uh, – Council calling him and having a long conversation. That should tell you an awful lot about the, the class of both of these guys. Real quick, Bruce, before we go any farther, you just talked about the David Ross reaching out to Craig Council. We're just hearing about it. You've probably already heard about it, but we're just hearing about it that according to reports, David Ross has turned down the opportunity to be the bench coach of the Yankees. Your reaction to that? 
So, right, it's it's a smart move. I mean, you don't go from being a manager of one of the most high-profile teams in baseball to a week later accepting a coaching job. I mean, that is – that's not David Ross. That's not anybody who wants to continue to have a aura of being a manager and being a leader of men. David believes in his ability. Most people in baseball do. I had one general manager uh, ask me at uh, the GM meetings last week in Scottsdale. You know, he wanted a, a thumbnail profile of what Ross was like handling people and uh, looking forward to having a conversation with him. So, I mean, uh, I don't see how that could benefit David Ross by being a bench coach, uh, being sitting there and maybe being the next manager of the Yankees. It's like, I don't know, you know, really, is the Yankee job a good job anymore? I I don't really think so. (laughs) Bruce, you know, you've been covering, like you said, a lot of these press conferences, a lot of these managerial changes. How surprised were you by this move? And you were at the GM meetings. I mean, that had to have been just all the talk in Scottsdale. Well, everybody was shocked by it. And there was only, you know, five people that knew about it. There was only a Barry Meister, the agent for council, council, Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, and uh, Tom Ricketts. That was it. Uh, That was kept between the five. I'm sure Crane Kenny was clued in at some point by Tom, but uh, there was no way it got out. Uh, I mean, they had uh, asked for permission, and uh, five days later, he was the manager of the Cubs. Uh, Conversations uh, at Jed Hoyer's house. I didn't know if Jed's wife uh, served lunch or not, or, you know, how, how, whether they had it catered or, you know, maybe by, you know, Uno's or Douay's. I I don't know what, what happened, but, the point is, is that um, for something that felt so uh, strange, I think today was um, a kind of a normal baseball day in a hiring of a manager. And uh, Cub fans getting an idea of the fact that um, this guy is going to be uh, a, a terrific manager for them, a, a great baseball uh, man for them, but subject to the same thing Ross was subject to, and that is, What's uh, Hoyer going to do in the offseason to make this team better? Right. Well, that's the million-dollar question, right, Bruce? What What's next? What's the shopping list look like? We all know the the obvious names. We'll get to that in a minute. But real quick, Barry, you just mentioned Barry Meister, his uh, longtime agent, longtime, longtime guy, local guy here around town that I'm sure you've had many conversations with. You had a great interview with him on your uh, 10-year anniversary show this past Saturday. Congratulations on that. Again, you and I shared a – quick text about that. But um, when the managers come to town and the stars of baseball come to Chicago, you always get your microphone in there. You always make a point, whether it's something that ends up on the air or just a personal relationship. So what, what kind of dealings over the time that Craig Council has been the skipper in Milwaukee, what were your impressions of him then? Well, you know, I, I, the first question to him at the press conference was from me about him being a winner. And that's that's all I've ever thought of when I thought of council. I always thought, wow, winning a World Series with the uh, Florida Marlins, then the Florida Marlins, then a few years later winning a World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks, a gritty guy that didn't have all the talent in the world but got every ounce out of it, knew how to beat you. All he did was go up there and – he didn't hit 300. He didn't hit home runs. All he did was go up there and, and beat you. 
And that's the same way he's been <clears throat> in his career as a front office guy and then a manager. I watched him uh, in numerous spring trainings sitting there uh, at, uh, with the, uh, the general manager uh, of the Brewers and the assistant general manager before he became the manager and just sitting there with, uh, with them and learning the trade, going out and watching spring training games, scouting on his own, uh, dealing with the metrics departments. This is a really bright uh, guy. And, and that's not to take anything away from David Ross, who is just as much a great baseball guy. But this, this guy is something different. Uh, at the Anytime that the Brewers came to town, I would say, oh, yeah, the Cubs have to beat Council. I, I didn't say they'd have to beat the Pirates or the Cardinals, but when the Brewers came to town, I said, oh, man, you know, this is going to be tough today. They have to beat Craig Council. And I think, to me, um, in my own mind and seeing him, I always felt that he was right at the forefront of, man, you're going to have to run me over, then you're going to have to back over me, and then you're going to have to run me over again. <laughs> beat me. And I think if you listen to Jed Hoyer and his impressions of, how the uh, Cubs had to work so hard in 2017 to beat a uh, Brewer team that was clearly inferior talent-wise just to get there again. Um, told you uh, volumes about why he is the manager of the Cubs today. Now, Bruce, he, he did mention, like, like you said, that he has some homework to do still, and he's taking his time and kind of being methodical about it. But what do you think this means for the coaching staff? I remember when uh, Joe Madden was hired by the Cubs, that infrastructure was in place, and I think they were pretty happy with it. Um, that you know, obviously, you have Tommy Hadovy in there. Um, they just were talking about John Maley coming back. You know, what, of, of of the coaching staff right now, do you think that uh, Council has some other guys in mind, or do you think he's he really is kind of going to take his time and see what he has? I think he's very open-minded about the whole thing. You know, he, he admitted that he had so much work to do that he wasn't going to just automatically hire his friends or hire people that he knew. He wanted to get to know uh, Tommy Hadovy. He wanted to get to know the hitting people. He wanted to understand what the labs were all about. I think this is a, a very smart, methodical guy that really wants to take his time to figure out what's going on. And uh, again, you know, he didn't even think about Chicago Cubs until a week ago, and now he's a manager for the next five years. So uh, I, I like the idea that he's going to take his time. And it's not a comfortable situation for the uh, Cubs coaches, but I think some of them are going to be okay. I think they'll stay in the organization, even if they're not uh, big league coaches. And I, I'm pretty sure that council wants to have in-depth meetings with uh, these guys who are under contract and kind of get what it's all about, the way the Cubs do things, not the way the Brewers did things or he's done things in the past. He's going to want to know and understand how they coach, what is the background of the, uh, the labs that they deal with, the metrics people. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot for him to do, and I think he's going to get right to it. Yeah, he seems very enthusiastic, said a lot of great things at the press conference, definitely won this Cub fan over, I wasn't thrilled about it at first. Um, two parts, uh, really liked and respect David Ross. And then, of course, as a fan, I don't like the Brewers. I don't like anything about the Brewers. So I didn't want that around my Cubs. But 
he he really, I thought, did a terrific, terrific day today. Bruce, let's talk about future Cubs, future potential Cubs. Earlier today on the score, Jed Hoyer with Parkins and Spiegel, he was talking about the chances of Otani becoming a Cub originally had the DH been around on the National League side at that point. Of course, it wasn't. Of course, now it is. Bruce, two-part two question. Number one, do you think the Cubs have a legitimate shot at Otani? And part two, do you think Otani pitches again, or is he really just a hitter moving forward? Yeah, I can't answer part two, and I don't think anybody in the world can answer that because this is the uh, the second elbow surgery for Otani in, in four years. So uh, that, that's that's not a good sign. If, if you're smart, you're saying we're signing Otani – the hitter, the the dominant, uh, one of the dominant hitters in baseball. He'll be named uh, American League MVP this week. Okay, he's that dominant, and uh, you say, okay, he's our DH. Uh, we're going to pay him X amount for that. We're going to pay X amount for him as a pitcher if he comes back the following year. It'll be structured in the contract, so the contract might go anywhere from four hundred to five hundred million depending on if he pitches again. But, you know, let's deal with the reality. The Cubs will and do have the resources to sign Otani. They will present a great uh, package for him. He will be wined and dined, and he will, like Chicago, I hope they get him here this week while it's still uh, 55 degrees. <laughs> uh, but, but nonetheless. Um, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. The, the the real important question is, where does Otani want to play? Because I think he can play anywhere. Any team in Major League Baseball can rationalize having Otani on the team. They'll, they'll get their money back one way or the other. Right. Fans, merchandising, uh, television, whatever it is. He's going to be doing more interviewing than the Cubs will be doing. The question is, does he want to be in Los Angeles or San Francisco, which is four hours or five hours closer to his home in Japan, not only for him, but for his family and friends that want to come and visit? Is that essential for him? Does he want to play in the nicer weather? Uh, you know, if it was Crowley or you, Dustin, or me, we'd say, well, Dodgers, Cubs, I'll take the Dodgers. You know, if you're not a Cub fan, you'd say, Wow, what a great franchise. They've been to the playoffs 10 years in a row. They have tremendous amount of resources. The uh, president and general manager seems to be one of the smartest people in baseball. Why not the Dodgers? But if there if there is a, a difference in what he's looking for and he's looking for a different challenge, uh, I don't see why the Chicago Cubs wouldn't be a favorite after that. Again, none of us know what he's thinking None of us know where he wants to go, but uh, I don't think anybody really thought it was going to be the Angels last time. I don't. I don't think they were the number one pick of uh, 
all the pundits and all the uh, experts who were trying to find a place where Otani was going to go. Well, Bruce, speaking of Japanese pitchers, Jed's been over to Japan to look at some other pitchers. Uh, with Stroman opting out, do you see the Cubs making a run at righty Yoshinobu Yamamoto or lefty Shota Imanaga? Yeah, I think so. And, and again, uh, Yamamoto is going to cost you 30 times 7, okay? So it's a $200 million contract. It's a big contract for a guy that's never pitched uh, in the United States before. It's it's kind of like the Darvish Derby uh, way back when, when uh, Texas got him to sign with them. Uh, yeah, I think they will. But again, let's be, if, if it's going to cost $500 million for Otani, do they have the other $200 million to put forth? In other words, 65 to $70 million a year for the next five to 10 years off of their payroll for two players, Okay. Is that the right way to go? Okay. Is it a smarter way to go to get Bellinger and to trade for either uh, Soto or Alonso? Is that a smarter way to go uh, in this offseason? There's a lot of things that they can do now. And I think the one underrated area of the Cubs that people aren't thinking much about is they have players in the minor leagues that other teams want. Okay. So, you are going to be able to make trades now that you didn't. We weren't able to make even when they were winning championships. Uh, they don't. They don't have players necessarily at the major league level to trade. And uh, I'll challenge you guys to find me somebody that they can trade off of that roster right now because I don't see any that are ex ex expendable for them at this point in time. But they do have minor leaguers at the would be interesting to other people. Would you trade a Pete Crow Armstrong? Would you trade a Cassie? Would you trade some of these elite young players that haven't made it yet to the major leagues for an, an opportunity for Alonzo or Soto? So uh, deciding how to how to spend the money and uh, you know whether you bring back Bellinger and a Japanese pitcher and then make trades, I would honestly – if, if I was the general manager or the president, I would go that direction. I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't think Otani is a dominant player, but he's a DH. You still have to fill out eight spots on your team. You still have to fill out that pitching staff. You still need two to three bullpen guys. I would rather see them spend the money uh, throughout the roster than on uh, two players coming back this year. Yeah, Bruce, I'm with you on that. I, I'd like to see $600 million spread out maybe against four or five, four yeah. or five names for sure. So a couple of names that you, we didn't hear you talk about there that I'd like to get your opinion on. You did bring up Juan Soto, and one of the rumors out there was, I think reported by you first, that Christopher Morrell might be a guy that they would want back. The Cubs have been saying that they're working him out exclusively at first base. They've been trying to figure out where would you play Christopher Morrell on a on a daily basis? Another guy that we saw at first base for a little bit, it didn't work out. There was a lot of buzz. Is Matt Mervis, and you did not mention his name when you were talking about some of the more elite guys down on the farm. So, number one, how many teams want Christopher Morrell? And then number two, have they kind of is Matt Mervis down a peg or two? Yeah, I, well, let's start with Mervis. He's definitely down, and that is uh, there's a question about his bat speed. So he's he's a one-tool player. He has power and, and a lot of it. 
will he hit for power and not strike out 200 times in the uh, major leagues? That's the question. Not a not great feet, not a great defender. <clears throat> he was definitely hard on himself while he was here. So you don't question the makeup. You question his belief in himself and where he can go. So with, with those things in mind, I, I don't think that there is a, there's a high priority priority on him being the first baseman this year. So uh, <clears throat> looking at him, uh, I, I would just not say, you know, that that he's in their picture. Would, would they trade him? Probably. And the other question was? Uh, as far as, um, you know, what they're, what they're doing with Christopher Morrell, playing him a bunch at first yeah. base, and, so, and is he a guy, you know, you said nobody on the current mm-hmm. roster would be, he's probably the most tradable guy on the current roster that they could part with because they don't have a real position mm-hmm. for him. So if uh, David Ross and the coaching staff would be held to a failure in 2023, would it be the non-development of Morrell at a position? I understood it. Ross didn't want to lose games because every time he put him out there, he made an error and he didn't look like he belonged out there. You guys watch all the games. You saw him. He looked uncomfortable every position they put him at. To me, it was like, dude, you're our third baseman. You are going to be working out there every day. We don't care how many balls bounce off your chest or hit you in the shoulder you are going to be our guy because there was no, look, Madrigal was a nice story, you know, and, you know, certainly, you know, there are other things to look at there, but there was a a great opening at third base that they refused to put him at because Ross didn't want to lose games. And I'm with David a hundred percent. You don't want to have a good team out there and have one position losing games for you. But I, I watched batting practice you know, 80 times at Wrigley Field, and he worked out all over the place. He wasn't working at one position, and and I think the exclusivity of him at one position is just going to make him more relaxed player and and most most likely a dominant power hitter in the game. Now, Bruce, we've been hearing more and more buzz about Reese Hoskins, and you know the Cubs just brought John Maley back into the coaching fold. We don't know what's going to happen now with Council and you know as the head as the skipper, but do you think the Cubs might try another pillow contract with Reese Hoskins like they did with Cody Bellinger? Yeah, I mean, look, even uh, at at the uh, GM meetings last week, Scott Boris brought up a pillow contract for him because he missed a whole year, okay? And, and he's coming back. And, you know, at age 30, 31, you know, there's some question marks. So they're not going to get the long-term contract for him that they want. I think a one-year deal with an option for the team – might be good, but right now, you know, the Cubs don't don't really know, um, you know, what what they're going to be doing as far as are they bringing back Bellinger, and uh, would that be a position that they would consider keeping him at if uh, Armstrong comes along in spring training and shows he can hit major league pitching, you know? So you have a lot of different options where you don't have options. You don't have options in left, and you don't have options in right. Okay. You have two two good players. One was a Gold Glover. The other was a, a surprisingly dominant hitter in Suzuki the last two months of the season. One one of the better stories in baseball. Uh, a finalist for a uh, Silver Slugger. So they they both have no trades. One for three years. I think I think the 
they're both one for two years, the other three. So you 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 have them there. You're not trading them. Nothing to trade in center. Nothing to trade at shortstop and second base. So and catcher, you know, you're bringing back a 37 year old catcher, and you're hoping Amaya can throw this year because he couldn't throw it all last year. Yeah. So there's a lot of places that you have to fill right there. Uh, and uh, you know, as much as I love Patrick Wisdom and that story, um, to me, it's you know, they're probably going to non-tender Patrick Wisdom. That's my guess. All right, Bruce, we're going to ask you for one more guess before we let you go. Um, third base, Candelario, um, somebody that we're not thinking of. I mean, any chance that um, – any chance Nick Madrigal, who played a much better third base than I ever thought possible, but is, is, do you think he's in the mix? He kind of he kind of feels like a, a Craig Council guy. Yeah, I, I don't have a feel for that. They obviously need one out there. I yeah. don't believe it's going to be Candelario. They haven't talked to his agent since uh, the last day of the season. Um, the agent uh, was not thrilled about that, but he doesn't feel that his player is being taken seriously by the Cubs. I like Candelario. I thought he brought a tremendous amount of energy and a resurgence to the team when he came there after he hurt his back. You know, he wasn't really a non-factor for them. He's not a great defender. He's a good defender at third. He's not a good defender at first. Uh, you could bring him back on a couple-year contract, but I, I think they're moving forward without him. Um, I just I, I don't have a feel for who's going to be playing there, but, again, with their resources, they might have an idea that I don't have right now for them. You know, Bruce, uh just a couple things real quick before you leave. Number one, I wanted to thank you for coming out to the Joe Madden event at club 400. Uh, it was great seeing you being a part of the club 400 family and, and, and everyone was thrilled and you were so nice and, and answering people's questions. Um, and the other thing as somebody that doesn't care about college football or football in general, inside the clubhouse has been just, just a, a lifeline for me over the off season. And, and, you know, it's every Saturday morning from nine to 11 on the score, six seventy the score, and like I said, it's just such a great show. And, and and thank you for keeping me, keeping baseball at the forefront, even when it's not happening. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I get that from a lot of people. A lot of people can't stand me, okay? But they love the idea that baseball is being talked about every Saturday on both the North and the South side, okay? And to me, it's a great pleasure because I'm a fan just like everybody else is, and I want to be talking baseball for those two hours. And I'm, it's great that uh, people have a place to go because it's so bear-oriented in, uh, in the fall and the winter. Even when the team is, is awful and people shouldn't really be paying attention to it, it still takes <laughs> time away. So uh, my friend Jeff Vukovic and I, we always have a, uh, we always have a, uh, a fun time where – uh, as soon as the World Series ends, he calls me and he says, worst day of the year. And I said, yeah. I said, but I'm looking forward to the, the end of the Super Bowl. The last, that's the, the first day of the baseball season. We can start feeling good about uh, spring training and baseball on both sides of town one more time. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you soon on the uh, Mully and Haw show. And uh uh, always, always a pleasure and just a, a great privilege for Crowley and I for you to give us uh, 15 minutes right now. Well, you know, since you told me I was going to get paid, uh, you know, I felt really good about doing it. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Max, Max and Benny's on me. 
<laughs> it was a fun time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank you, Bruce.